Take a look at the next slide. We're going to jump right in. Mark chapter 7, and we're going to look at uh, verse 24 through 30. Mark 7, verse 24 through 30 says this. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. You know, I always think it's important to, to see what the Bible emphasizes and what it doesn't, what information that, that, that the writer gives us, and what information that the writer leaves out. And what we're told here in this passage is that Jesus goes to the vicinity of Tyre, Upper Galilee, it's where a lot of the, uh, the, the Gentiles would be living. And we're told that he went there, but we're not told why he goes there. We're not told what he wants to accomplish. We don't even know if there's a particular reason he goes to this house. But in contrast, we hear a lot about this woman. Mark says she's Greek and that she was born in Syrian Phoenicia. So right away, what we know is that this woman is a Gentile pagan who comes from one of the infamous cities in Israel's history. Take a look at the next slide. You can, you can read a little bit about Tyre in some of these passages. These are just a few of them that talk about Tyre. And Tyre is rarely talked about in a positive light in the way that they approached Israel. Over and over again, this is a city that oppressed Israel. So if you were, if you were listening to this narrative, if you were listening to this gospel, hearing what Mark had to say, and you heard that Jesus went to Tyre, you would immediately have feelings about that city because of what they had done in the past and what they were currently doing to Israel. But the interesting thing here is why this is important, what Mark records and what Mark does not record, is because what we see Mark put the spotlight on is Jesus' interaction with this woman. Mark's like, hey, Jesus went to Tyre. Now let's talk about this woman. Because after Mark tells us about what happens here, this interchange, he says Jesus left Tyre and moved on to Sidon. All Mark wants us to look at very closely is this woman and the interaction Jesus has with her. And she asks him for help. She begs him for help. But this request is probably more intense than we may know at first glance. We understand she's a Gentile, but most Jews believe that, that every Gentile was unclean by nature, right? Just inherently unclean, simply because they were Gentiles. 
simply because they weren't Jews. By contrast, if you were a Jew, typically you had to do something to become unclean. You had to eat certain foods that were prohibited. You had to go and touch a dead body or something like that. If you were a Gentile, you were simply unclean. And if you touched another Jew, if you touched a Jew, you made them unclean. It's intense. Could you imagine if that's the way it worked here? You feel like, oh, you've got to stay free from that person because just touching them will cause you to be unclean. And so... This is intense because Jesus has been gracious. When you look through Mark's narrative, you look through uh, his gospel, you see that he's already shown how gracious Jesus can be, especially to the outcasts in Israel. That he's, he's, he's helped the demon-possessed man, the bleeding woman. Both of those are in Mark chapter 5. And so all of a sudden, if we're watching and we're reading this for the first time, what we're wondering is, how is Jesus going to show grace to somebody outside of Israel? And so this is intense. Because this woman who would be considered unclean by any Jew goes up to Jesus and begs him to cast out this demon who is possessing her little daughter. It's an intense moment. Now, the account Matthew, because we have to stop there. Next slide. Account of Matthew adds some things that we need to consider when we look at this passage. Matthew 15, verse 22, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity, this is the parallel passage in Matthew 15, came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Take a look at this next slide. So, again, there's some important things here that we need to to consider as we we make some appropriate points from this passage. One of the things is that that Mark, in his account, he does not mention that this woman comes to Jesus and she addresses him in this way, Lord, Son of David. You know, it's intense because she knows something about Jesus that most Israelites would not have been able to grasp. She understands that he is the Messiah. It's mind-blowing. But also, and again, I want you to put yourself in this scene, right? Because this scene has a way of, 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 of causing us to feel things. Because as you, as you look at this, apparently in, in, in Matthew's account, she keeps crying out and Jesus doesn't answer. Not initially. And in the space of that silence, the disciples, just like we talked about last week, they jump in. And and so how do they jump in, right? They see her crying out, and they're like, hey, Lord, what are you going to do? Can't you help this woman? No, no, that's not how they jump in. In the space of Jesus' silence, they jump in, and they say, hey, Lord, can you send her away? Because she keeps crying out after us. Us, not you, not you, Jesus. She's crying out after us. And so if you could send her away, even though we know she wants something from you, if you could send her away, then she will stop bothering 
us. That's what's happening here. And so right away, we have to deal with how Jesus' response affects us. Take a look at the next slide. And so I want you to think, again, put yourself as much as you can in the scene, that you're watching all this unfold. You see Jesus come into Tyre. You watch this woman approach him. She's clearly distraught. And she is begging him. She's pleading with him. She is desperate for help. She wants help not for herself. She's not asking for money. She's not asking, you know, for some sort of, you know, uh, amazing thing that, that she could benefit for personally. She just wants help for her little daughter who's at home. She's fearing for her health and her safety. She's like, Lord, if you could help her. Jesus first says nothing to her. And then the disciples jump in and say, send her away. And then when Jesus does speak to her, first he addresses the the disciples. He says to them, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And then when he speaks to her, he says, first let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, what's your response to this? This passage tends to offend our sense of justice, right? It tends to offend us because that's not what we expect from Jesus, especially when he's talking to and responding to a mother who's trying to help her daughter. Many of us, as we sit and listen to us, this is We don't know what to do with this. We feel disappointed. We feel shocked. Maybe we're angry at Jesus for responding this way. Because we look at this and we say, man, she's not some hardened Pharisee or, or teacher of the law trying to trap Jesus. She's a frightened mother taking advantage of a once in a lifetime opportunity that the Messiah is here. Would you help my daughter? Right? And so we read this and we're offended. And we're angry. Or we're trying to somehow soften this. Why is this important? Well, following Jesus means imitating him. So what do we imitate here? Right? And, and so the thing is, if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to be committed to imitating him. And when we find something that Jesus does, or he says, that doesn't sit well with us, What do we do with that? What do you do with that? Be honest with yourself. When you find something that you don't feel comfortable with, when you disagree with that, how does it affect your willingness to follow his example? Next slide, because this is the space. Right here in a passage like this. This is the space where we have to be careful and let the scriptures stand on their own and resist trying to shape Jesus' response or his action to fit what sounds or feels better to us. How often do we, in our minds, shift a passage? Because we're like, oh, Jesus didn't mean that. (laughs) There's no way Jesus could have meant that. So I know what he meant. How would you feel if someone said, oh, 
you didn't mean that. What you really meant is this. When you were talking about something of importance, you're saying no one has the right to change my words or change the way I said it. I, what I said, I meant. So why do we do that with the Bible? And so how do we figure this out? Well, the question is, next slide, the question is, what we have to do in these kinds of difficult passages is instead of saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interpret this on the basis of how I feel or how, I, how it lands on me or how I would want it to say or what I would want, it, want to do or what I think Jesus should have done. Instead, let's say, what do we know for sure? Right? What do we know for sure as we look at the word of God? What do we know about Jesus? Well, one of the things we know as we look at this, this particular passage is, even though this response is absolutely jarring, we understand it can't be sinful because Jesus never sinned. Not one time. So whatever this is, we know it can't be sin because Jesus never sinned. If he sinned one time, none of us are here, right? Because he's no longer a perfect sacrifice. So let's start there. Let's start at that point. And then let's go on and realize what, also what we know is that Jesus was sent to the Jews. And the challenge for us is that we can tend to read this passage and this, this text, we look backwards, right? We, we look at it from our vantage point and we look backwards at it. We're thinking about this text after the Gentiles were pulled in, after Paul was sent to the Gentiles. There were churches of Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. You know, Jesus is determined to glorify God and he was given a mission. And that mission was not to the Gentiles at that moment. Now, it would be, it would be eventually for all mankind, all Gentiles, all non-Jews. But at that moment, Jesus, and this is what's so amazing to me, is, is how intense it was for Jesus to be given the task that he was given by God and be determined to fulfill that task no matter what. No matter what. When you think about this, Matthew 15, we looked at this, right? He, he says, verse 24, he answered the disciples who were asking him, to send the woman away, he says to them, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And when you look at that, it's, 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 it's important to note that Jesus says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, not the lost sheep among Israel. It wasn't that Jesus was finding lost sheep in Israel, finding the lost from the saved. He was sent to the entire nation. He was sent first to them to fulfill the promise of that nation, the promises given to the nation of Israel before his work would then bless all nations. Jesus never confused his priority or his responsibility. So we know that. What else do we know about Jesus? Well, we know that Jesus does not turn her away as the disciples want to, they're urging him to. We know this. Because the disciples, what happens in that space of silence? Well, we get to see the heart of the disciples. Everything gets revealed. Jesus says, I'm not going to say anything for a minute. And when he doesn't, the disciples, like they did when we looked at it in Luke 7, are like, he must want us to call down fire from heaven. When that's not what Jesus wanted. But here, he, you know, he sees silent for a moment, and they say, Hey, great, he must want us to send her away. Lord, send her away. 
because she keeps crying out after us. We also know that Jesus does heal her daughter. We know that. That that woman, after her encounter with Jesus, she goes home, her daughter is healed. What do we know about the woman? That's what we know about Jesus, but what do we know about the woman? We know that this woman starts off by addressing Jesus as Lord, Son of David. This is mind-blowing, right? This is mind-blowing because she's a Gentile in a city that doesn't like Jews. They're exploiting them. So she has no reason to know this. How does she know when, her, when Jesus is his own countrymen and even the disciples who are walking with him don't know, really know, that he's the son of David, he's the Messiah? This blows my mind. She knows this when so many of the Jews won't know it or they won't accept it, even after seeing Jesus do miracles that proves he's the son of God. And so when we get to this line that we have problems with, First, let the children eat all they want, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She accepts this metaphor without getting offended in the slightest. We're, more, we're way more offended than she was. Right? Be honest. How many of us would have missed this blessing? Daughter would have been demon-possessed to this day. <laughs> Absolutely. We would have missed this. We would have gotten offended, and we would have walked off. We're like, whoa, whoa, wait. Wait a second. Am I the dog in this metaphor? Is Jesus calling me a dog? No, I don't think so. Who does he think he is? We'd have got on social media, hashtag, Jesus is so rude. That's what we would have done. But how many of us would have gone to the entire other extreme and Jesus would have said that, we'd have lost all our self-esteem. He's so right. I'm not worthy of any help. God is punishing me through the daughter and now I should have never asked for help. I'm so sorry. How many of us would have gone to each of those extremes? The woman doesn't do either of those things. She doesn't go to an extreme. She actually leans into this metaphor without missing a beat. I mean, does any, do any of us have dogs, right? then she, we know what she knew. Dogs sit at the table, under the table, because they know how kids eat. They're like, they're going to eat? I'm going to eat. Right? She completely leans into this metaphor. She's like, if the kids are eating, there's going to be crumbs. All I need is a crumb. That's all I need for my daughter. Great. Can I sit under the table? And this metaphor has the dog. She's not mad that she's not one of the children in the metaphor. She doesn't feel she needs to be. She's not offended. She doesn't demand some special privilege that says she gets looked at like a Jew when she knows she's not. She doesn't dissuade Jesus from his ministry or his mission. She, her, why is her faith amazing? Because she's got faith that Jesus can do the work for his mission, and that's going to leave enough for her and what her daughter needs, and she's right. And she's right. Next slide. So what can we imitate? Well, remember, remember, we're watching Jesus to see what we can put into practice. And so what I want us to think through first is, 
How do you approach meeting needs? How do you approach meeting needs? What's your conviction? And if you have a conviction, what is that based on? Jesus followed his conviction over his emotion. You know, when you look in Mark chapter 1, I don't think I have a slide for this, but I'm just going to read it. Mark chapter 1, verse 36, uh, Simon and his, I do, amen. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. If you're familiar with this passage, you understand this is the tail end of an incredibly long day where Jesus goes into the synagogue, he heals someone there, he uh, comes out of the synagogue, he, he heals Peter's mother-in-law, then, he, uh, then people bring the entire town to the door, he touches everyone, and then that night more people hear about it, and then they come. But in the morning, Jesus says, I'm going to go because this is not why I've come. This is all that I have time for. This is all I've budgeted for to meet these needs. And he leaves all of those needs unmet. Everyone who came after that. Jesus could have said, or not, he could have just decided, everybody's healed, and just walked off. But Jesus shows us an important principle where he says, I'm working on conviction. This is what I had decided, and this is what I could give, and therefore, I'm on my way to do the other work that I have to do, because this is why I've come. Jesus met a tremendous amount of needs, but left a number of needs unmet because he budgeted meeting those needs through balancing everything he was called to do. And I think sometimes, and I know for me, my, my meaning of needs is more emotional than it is based on conviction. I'm looking at this woman, and I'm like, oh, man, we got to help her. Jesus thinks a little differently, but it's no less compassionate, but it's based on more conviction. I think the th second thing we can imitate, so the first thing is I, I, I encourage us, think through how you meet needs. Think through whether you have a conviction about it or if you're just like, hey, whatever, I'm just going to, you know, whatever, whatever the, the need is that moves my heart, that's what I'm going to do. But the second thing I think we can imitate is that Jesus doesn't send her away because she's bothering him, right? That's what the disciples do. The disciples urge Jesus to send her away because she keeps crying out. That's their reason, right? And again, like we looked at last week, Luke 9, I said Luke 7 earlier, but it's Luke 9, when they were rejected, the disciples aren't looking at Jesus, not correctly, Right? And I think this is, this is something through this whole series I want us to sort of think about, right? Because when we talked about Jesus in action, usually the disciples are there. But just because they're standing next to him don't mean that they're seeing what they need to see. Right? They're there and they're looking at Jesus and somehow... In Luke 9, as we talked about last week, when they looked at Jesus, even though he's not showing any sign that he wants to burn down the Samaritan village, right? They're thinking, Lord, should we call fire from heaven? Because that's what they want to do, right? And I think sometimes when I look at Jesus and I see what he does, I somehow interpret that he must want to do what I want to do. 
what kind of mind gymnastics are we talking about? Right? But we, that's what we do. And the disciples look at Jesus. They say, oh, he's silent. Somehow they interpret the fact that he does not respond to her as, Lord, send her away. But, but again, like us, they're smart. They don't say, Lord, we want to send them away. Right? Because I'm sure they learned from the, the whole feeding 5,000 where they're like, hey, Lord, send the people away. And he's like, you give them something to eat. They're like, never again. Right? We talk to Jesus. We're going to be like, we're going to make it seem like he wants to do this. And so here's the thing to remember. Jesus feels for us, but we have to remember that he may not feel like us in these situations. In many of the situations we are part of, we may, not, we may be thinking Jesus feels the way we would feel, and he may not. This is important. Next slide. As soon as the disciples speak, right? Because it's important to understand the framework of this, this whole scene. Right? Because the framework helps us understand this scene in a different way than if we go into it thinking purely on the basis of how we feel about the line that Jesus says, right? About the children and the dogs. What's the framework of this? Well, you can see that when everybody starts talking. We see when the woman starts talking, from her vantage point, the framework of the conversation is I need help. You're the Messiah. Would you help me? Right? When the disciples start talking, the framework is, can we do something about this woman? That's their framework. That's the lens through which they're seeing the scenario. The framework that Jesus has, when he starts talking, it's a completely different framework. Jesus frames the situation as, should I be the one to do something for this woman? Because I was only sent to Israel. So when I think about this situation, the need is legitimate. She's sincere. She doesn't want something that's selfish. But the question isn't, should I meet the need? The question is, should I be the one meeting the need? Like, it's, it's not, is the need worthy? It's, should I be the one to meet the need? How often do we ask ourselves that question? Because just because the need was worthy did not mean that Jesus was the one who should have met it. Let me give you an example of this that may help us, right? Let's say you were hired by an assisted living facility, and you were given $100 to buy food for some of the residents. So you go and you, do, you spend everything, $99.99. You spend all that money. You buy food because you're going to take that food and bring it back to the residents who entrusted you with the money and everything to bring that food back to them. Have I painted that picture? Yeah. All right. Now let's say on the way home with all that food you bought, you're walking with that food. You're walking with that food home and you pass by someone who is in desperate need for that food and they ask you for some of that food. What do you do? Say, well, on the one hand, I do have enough food to help this person. But on the other hand, any food that I give this person was meant to go for the people who entrusted me with the money that I was given to buy it for them. The money and the food was set aside for that purpose, not for that legitimate need. 
So what do you do with that food? You're like, oh, man, that's a tough situation. Exactly. That's what Jesus faced right here. Now, it's not a perfect analogy, but my goal is to get us to start thinking about the decision that Jesus had to make. And the woman, who is, is amazing in this story, she says, I understand that. I understand that. She understands it probably better than we do because she's not offended. She knows she has needs that are legitimate needs that Jesus was not sent to meet. So next slide, last slide. If I had to sum up how to imitate Jesus in this passage, I'd say that Jesus had a plan and he had conviction about meeting needs, and Jesus would carefully evaluate meeting needs that called on him to use resources that were meant for meeting other needs. Right? Jesus says, I've been entrusted by God to use the resources that he's given me for the people of Israel. It's not that the need isn't legitimate. It's the question I have is, am I honoring God Am I doing what God called me to do by meeting this need that is not part of that mission? So let's be clear on our own convictions, right? Our own plans to meet needs. Why? Because if we have conviction, then we don't have to feel guilty about needs we can't meet. Right? We don't have to feel guilty about that. And we can say, man, I'm operating on my conviction even, even though I'm moved by my emotions. At this time, we're going to take some time for communion, and I think this is a perfect thing to meditate on as we get ready for the communion. Because this woman, she reminds me, she reminds us that we're not entitled. That we're not entitled. Right? She is, she is a champion of this. She's like, look, I'm not pushing my way in here and saying, you need to, I deserve this, I should, you should do this. The need is so great. You know, she's not using any of that. She's like, yeah, I know you're not sent to me, but I'm okay with the crumbs. And as Christians, we get a lot more than that through the Holy Spirit and through what Jesus did. So as we take time to meditate on the Lord's Supper right now, let's think about this woman and her response. And, and, and really ask the question, would I have missed the grace that Jesus gives this woman because I let myself out of pride, get offended. When she is just acknowledging, no, you're right, I'm not one of the children. It's okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this example. It's tough to read. It's tough to hear. But it's amazing to see. It's amazing to see this woman in action. To see her understanding of Jesus in a way that we don't even know how she knew those things about Jesus being the Messiah, the son of David. We're amazed at her humility and her willingness to, to take whatever Jesus could give, to push past the, the understanding that the disciples wanted her to go away, to be sent away, and to be humble, to fall at Jesus' feet, and to trust that what she knew about Jesus was right and to be rewarded for her knowledge and her faith, her faith that all she needed was the crumbs. God, we're amazed at Jesus who took his responsibility so seriously that he would not squander any of the resources 
that were given to him by you. And then he took the call to, to, to be a minister, to be a shepherd to, to the lost sheep of Israel as his mission that he would carry out no matter what. And yet, Father, we appreciate that he did heal this woman's daughter. And it gives us hope to know that even though we don't deserve, we can think about the cross, we can think about the resurrection, we can think about your sacrifice for us, and we deserve that no more than we deserved it today, no more than we deserved it when we first began to know you. So, Lord, help us to, to keep being humble. But help us also, Lord, to embrace that the, 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 there are needs that have to be met, but help us to develop the convictions that we need to so we can meet the most needs that we can, not just go about meeting needs and then running out and not being able to meet the needs that perhaps only we can meet. God, thank you for Jesus, his sacrifice, the blood that was shed for us, the body that was broken for us. We're grateful for that. It's in his name that we pray.